right. Grab a seat. How many of you are excited to be in the presence of God this morning? Anybody besides myself just glad to be in church? I just love the Lord's presence. Thank you for that extended meet and greet. Our extroverts love our meet and greet. It's just the best thing ever. Our introverts, eh, not so much. They'd rather just skip right to the sermon. Thank you very much. Robin, for the longest time, called it the mandatory meet and greet. She had no other choice but to shake her neighbor's hands. Poor, poor, poor lady. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled about baptism today. I mean, have you noticed? I mean, it's going to be beautiful outside. The water temperature is just going to be balmy for these candidates. It's going to be so beautiful that I have delegated all baptism, all eight candidates, to Adam this afternoon. Adam's going to get in the water. Adam's going to bat. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there you go. There you go. That's sounding good about now. And we're having root beer floats on top of that. So it's going to be an interesting day. Interesting day. I hope you'll join us at our home this afternoon at 1 o'clock. Uh, the address is on, although I don't think Google Maps is still picking up uh, the new Marathon County relabeling. Um, it's on the event website, uh, the event webpage, I should say, for the baptism. We'd be happy to give you directions. I'll just tell you simply, if you've never uh, been to our home, you take a left at Country Air, a few miles north on 97 on County P West, and 1.8 miles, you'll see a tree-lined driveway on the left-hand side, and that's us. So we hope you come out at 1 o'clock. You can eat before you come. You can bring a picnic lunch if you love 55-degree picnic lunches, if that's your thing. Uh, we're going to have a fire uh, we're going to have uh, baptism, and uh, hopefully it'll be a fun afternoon. And it is not supposed to rain anymore today, a little wet this morning, but uh, it will be cloudy. Also want to mention to you that next Sunday on the 15th of September, we're going to have a, a 15, uh, excuse me, a 10-year uh, anniversary celebration. We're going to have Dunkin' Donuts for both kids and adults. And we're also going to be releasing a rendering of our newly redesigned sanctuary commons kitchen classrooms offices, our newly designed uh, church building next Sunday, both services here. It's going to be an exciting day, 8.30 and 10 o'clock a.m. So we want to invite you to join us. We are uh, doing a series on uh, that, that I've called Smoke Signals. The idea behind the series is that our emotions function really like smoke from a fire. And just like you can follow a trail of smoke to figure out what's on fire in a home, uh, you can follow, follow the trail of your emotions to figure out what's really seated deeply in your heart. And we looked at depression in week one. We look at anxiety in week two this morning. We're going to look at uh, a, an emotion that we haven't talked much about here at church. In my recollection, we're going to talk about envy. Everybody say envy. Envy. Good. Uh, these emotions, they function like warning lights. Think of your heart as like the dashboard of your uh, car. Uh, if your soul is um, the engine 
of the car, your heart, your emotions, they point to something. They indicate something happening in your spirit. Uh, how many of you have ever been driving when the check engine light comes on in your car? That's a joy, right? Exciting times. Um, how many of you have been driving with a check engine light on for months or years in your vehicle? How many of you have put a little piece of tape over it just so you don't have to look at it? Uh, just because it makes you a little nervous and you just keep plowing through. Um, not wise, right? Uh, check engine lights, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they're very limited in detail. They don't tell us what's wrong with a the car, they just tell us something's wrong with a car. Um, for those who aren't mechanically inclined, um, my, my knowledge is pretty much reduced to how to uh, fill up the windshield wiper reservoir when it empties, right? That's about all I can do under the hood, to be honest. It would be so awesome if you opened up your hood when the check engine light came on and each respective part of the car had a little mini speaker and said like, me, me, it's me, fix me. You know, wouldn't that be great? A little red flag would pop up, like a tip up, like when you're ice fishing on that particular part and you could diagnose and repair, but it doesn't, doesn't do that. So I refill the fluid in the windshield wiper reservoir, and my hope is that the check engine light will shut off. And that's not always, of course, that never happens. Um, as with the other emotions, the best darn thing we can do with envy is to not just hope the check engine light goes off. We've got to deal with it. We've got to get to the root of it. Um, unfortunately, we don't have the option of putting a little piece of tape over our life. We can't ignore. And the Bible gives us a, a, a better indicator, I think, than a check engine light. I want to read you a story this morning. I think Numbers 11, a few scattered verses really unpack the heart of envy in, in a seldom told story that I'm going to read to you today. I've referenced it earlier in this series. The children of Israel are about... Uh, a year out of slavery, 13 months at this point uh, from the Exodus. They're kind of bumbling through uh, the wilderness. God himself is guiding them. Wouldn't that be cool to be guided by God himself? He literally put clouds before them in the daytime to tell them where to go and fire before them at night to tell them where to go. I mean, wouldn't that just be cool to live during that time? It'd be awesome. Unfortunately, I don't get that overt a signal telling me where to go. I don't know about you. Um, so even every morning, miraculous bread appears on the ground for their consumption. Verse 1 of Numbers 11, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord, Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Now, that's not figurative. That's the literal fire of God. God's showing them he's not pleased with, with the um, posture of their, of their appreciation or lack thereof. Verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. 
We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the onions, the, or excuse me, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. I knew onions was in there somewhere. The garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna, this bread, to look at. Verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. What exactly is envy? Envy is, by simplest definition, us wanting what we don't want. Have. Wanting what we don't have, feeling like what we have is not good enough, feeling like we deserve more, feeling like God owes us more. So envy begins with being discontent. We don't have what we want. So our wanting turns quickly into resentment toward others because somebody else has meat. Somebody else has garlic. Somebody else has onions. And all I've got is bread. And so I hate them for having what I don't have. The Bible communicates very clearly that we ought to have a completely different attitude when it comes to what other people have. We're told that we're to mourn with those who mourn, yes. But we're also to rejoice with those who rejoice. We're to celebrate each other. We're not to envy each other. You may have heard the story about how the fisherman uh, can put a bunch of crabs in his bucket, and if the crabs were alone, the crabs could crawl out of the bucket. Why can't the crab crawl out of the bucket? Because the other crabs pull the crab down. And that's the predisposition of the human heart. We want everybody who's higher to come back down to our level. If I can't get out of the bucket, he ain't getting out of the bucket. And you know what the fuel of envy is? Do you know what keeps it going? What keeps envy alive in the human heart is comparison. It's comparing ourselves to other people. Comparing your situation to hers. Comparison... Um, has been described in, in categories. Uh, one obvious one is material comparison. He posts a picture of his new truck, and you used to like the truck that you drove, uh, but all of a sudden, you no longer do. You're mad because you want his truck. You thought your brownies looked awesome. until she posted a picture of her brownies. And let me tell you, you could smell them through your mobile device. Not to mention you couldn't help but notice her beautiful kitchen behind that plate of brownies. That was painted like you've always dreamt. How the, the, those, those hardware, those cabinet pole knobs were exactly what you would have chosen if, you, if it were your kitchen and and, and you'd have unlimited resources, and how that KitchenAid mixer was just perched on that beautiful countertop, and, and, and 
You notice they were cooking with gas. Oh man, if we were only cooking with gas. You notice that, that little inspirational chalkboard by the laundry room that had your, of all verses, your favorite scripture verse on it. You say to yourself, I hate her brownies. Maybe that family posted pictures of the beach. And you say to yourself, that's the second time this year they've been to the beach. All we can do is, well, we can't even afford to go to the lake, much less the beach. Those are the people who were, by the way, in church last weekend, on Labor Day weekend, when everyone else was at the lake. We were together here. Even worse, have you ever seen yourself cropped out of a photo? How does that make you feel? <laughs> You're like, that's my shoulder in that picture. How could that have been? Maybe you get one of those Christmas cards where the family looks just perfect. And each of the kids is holding one of those cheesy letter blocks that spells out the last name of the family. And they're all wearing matching outfits and they're perched in front of a barn that you know is not part of their everyday life. And you know if it is your family and it was an Integris photo, the kids would be strangling each other, right? And, you, and so you say to yourself, why, why is it that this family appears perfect? They look so perfect. Martin Luther said this, some people are not happy unless they see that their fellow man is unhappy. They feel sad when others do well and would gladly lose one of their own eyes to keep their neighbor from having any eyes at all. Then there's circumstantial comparison. You just wish you had somebody else's situation. You wish your job had that level of renown or significance or gave you that kind of flexibility. Sometimes I feel that way, to be honest. I do have a flexible job, but I haven't, not that I can't, but I haven't taken Christmas Eve off for 13 years or Easter off for 13 years. And, and one summer, I had seven weddings, seven of them, in an already short Wisconsin summer, seven weddings, that's seven Friday rehearsals, that's seven Saturday weddings, meanwhile I'm seeing your pictures, taking full advantage of your Wisconsin summer, it's driving me nuts, I envy your situation, and I'm thinking, fine, I'll just spend another summer Sunday here at church, while all of you fly up north with 27 other faithful parishioners. Everybody else is at Miller Park serving the devil. Envy isn't even rational. Is it? Tim Keller coined the term comparisonitis. We have it. 
Maybe the envy is more serious than wanting more weekends off. Maybe it's, I wish I could have a baby. I've seen 14 gender reveals on Instagram this year. I want to be happy for others, but I just can't. Sociologists tell us that envy is a, is a bigger problem than it has been for any other generation before us simply due to the fact of the social media age. We see filtered image after filtered image. And, and someone put it this way, we compare our, our behind-the-scenes footage to everyone else's highlight reels. Isn't it true? So naturally, we feel like losers because they're posting the best of their best and we know the worst of our worst. And, and, and gosh, I was feeling great about my birthday dinner out with my wife. She treated me until I see that so-and-so's wife bought him a horse, <laughs> took him backpacking across Europe, A pony in Buckingham Palace. That's what he gets for his birthday. I heard a story about two moms who confessed to each other in a life group that they hated each other on social media. One was a working mom, and she was like, I hated you because you were the perfect stay-at-home mom, the Pinterest mom, the do-crafts mom, the structured time with your kids mom. It made me feel so guilty to be at work. And the other mom said, really? I hate you. Let me tell you why I hate you. I hated you because you have a life. I hated you because you're in public. You're doing things. You're getting time away from your kids. I have not had a conversation with another adult since 2014. Here we have two people longing for what the other person has based on a filtered social media presentation. Never before in the history of the world have we been able to so accurately determine our unpopularity. Think about that for a minute. When I was a kid, like I just had to randomly guess if I was unpopular. Today, it's now measurable. He's got 442 followers on Instagram and I've got only 114 followers on Instagram. I must be unpopular. Another Facebook post, a triple-digit like Facebook post for Jennifer. How does she get that many triple-digit likes? It's got to be because she's lived so many places. I mean, that's why I have so few likes. I mean, I haven't lived other places like she has. I mean, can you imagine how many triple-digit likes I'd get if I had lived in New York for a season? Researchers have already proven that the more time, that the more we compare ourselves to others in social media, the less satisfied we become. 
it's been empirically validated that those who scroll are more depressed. We think of envy as a, a kind of small, petty jealousy that comes from just wanting a little more, but the Bible treats it far more serious. John Edwards said, never underestimate the spiritual power of envy. Here's how Proverbs 14.30 puts it. Envy rots down to the bones. Martin Luther said that God concluded the Ten Commandments with thou shalt not covet or envy because if you kept that one, you would keep all the other commandments. In other words, the reason you lie, the reason you steal, the reason you commit adultery, the reason you even kill is usually envying somebody else's way of life. James, whose book we just finished, didn't sugarcoat anything. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Have I painted enough of a picture of the perils of envy? The next question then is, is what, are the, what are the causes? How do we overcome them? Number one, uh, envy forgets God's goodness. It forgets God's goodness that he's already poured out in the past. Look at verse one. The people began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. What do you mean hardship? 13 months removed from being enslaved by a different people group. And now they're saying things like, yeah, but the food there was awesome. They seem to be oblivious of the fact that God had, out of compassion, intervened so that they didn't have to work 20 hours a day. I love Dave Ramsey's phrase, I'm doing better than I, do you know what he says? Deserve. Isn't that a great response to how are you doing? A condition of the heart. You know what? I'm doing better than I deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve judgment for our sin. What do we deserve? We deserve hell, a physical conscious place of of torment. This is what the Bible teaches. Uh, Sin, uh, its wages are death. Instead, we're called God's children. Instead, we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. Instead, we have a promised inheritance that cannot be taken away. All in all, life is a pretty good day, is it not, for the people of God? He saved us. Clearly, he had us in mind. We're the object of his affection. Don't forget what God has done in your past. That's what the Israelites did. Second, envy overlooks God's goodness in the present. Envy overlooks God's goodness in the presence. Numbers uh, in the present. Numbers 10, uh, 11 says, they left Sinai, this is how we know, 13 months, during the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month. So they're 13 months removed from being slaves, and they're saying things like, all we have is bread. All we have is manna. 
we're going to shrivel up and die. They actually say that. Envy cripples your ability to enjoy the things God gives you in the present. In the present. Don't be looking to the next thing all the time. Don't be looking to the next phase of life all the time. In Deuteronomy 8, Moses tells us that in their 40 years in the desert, their feet did not swell. I know people's feet that swell, I almost said smell. (laughs) I know people like that too. People's feet who swell after four hours of work. Being on their feet. Moses tells us their feet did not swell after 40 years in the desert. Feet swelling is a sign, or was then especially, of malnutrition. Were the Israelites malnourished? No, they were not. Was the manna enough? Yes, it was. Think about the Garden of Eden. How many trees did Adam and Eve have access to in the garden? Everyone but one. They wanted what they could not have. Tim Keller put it this way, envy will make you think something is wrong even in paradise. True or untrue for Adam and Eve. Even in paradise, they envied. We could go to the book of Ecclesiastes and talk about Solomon. Could it be that the richest, smartest, most powerful man in the world with the most girlfriends to boot was happiest? No, he was not. We live in the United States in a proverbial paradise. We need to stop ignoring the check engine light. Amen? We ought not be envious. We're doing better than we deserve. Amen? Third, envy ignores God's goodness promised for the future. Envy forgets the goodness God has poured out in the past. Envy overlooks the goodness God provides in our present. And envy ignores God's goodness for our future. The Israelites seem to forget that their situation is temporary. They don't realize that. God was in the process of sending them to a literal promised land, a place flowing with milk and honey. Our way of saying that might be a place flowing with butter burgers and unlimited fair food. Or if you're the prim and proper type, arugula and caprese and goat cheese. The land was flowing with that. That's what God had in store. For the people, for some of you, it means wealth is in your future if you just hold on. It means retirement is in your future if you just hold on. It means that a great marriage is in your future if you keep trusting Jesus. For some of you, health is in your future. There is a solution for others of you. Fishing more with your grandkids is in your future if you just hold on what you're going through is temporary and for all of us Christ in paradise 
is with us in the future. Amen? There will be a day, glory to God, where none of us feels as though we're missing anything. Some of us will taste more life than others. Life here in the now, no doubt. Eventually, inevitably, we're all going to get the whole pie. Don't forget that your situation is momentary. Last one. Number four. Envy usurps God's goodness in the process. Envy robs us. Envy detours us around. Envy usurps, steals God's goodness in the process, in the guidance. God had a purpose for the people even in the wilderness. Would you agree with to that? He had a purpose. The, the wilderness was part of God's plan to make them into a special people. In the wilderness, God's teaching them, thing, them things about faith. He's teaching them that himself, he is more valuable than arugula and goat cheese. He's teaching them the value of his presence. He's leading them through disease or out of in Egypt disease and, and keeping them from war and sparing them of famine in the journey and from the swelling of feet. And instead of seeing that and believing that, they see themselves as deprived. We are without. We're deprived of the good things in life. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul references this story that we're reading about today. And, and he says that the root cause of the Israelites' idolatry in, or rather their uh, envy in the wilderness was actually idolatry. And we think, but wait a minute, there's no little gold statues in this story. How could that be? And, and, and idolatry, as you probably have heard, is when we love or crave anything more than we love and crave God. Anything. And according to Jesus in John 6, he, Jesus, was symbolized in the manna. They weren't ultimately saying the manna isn't enough for us. They were ultimately saying God isn't enough for us. That's what they were saying. They were saying Jesus isn't enough. Because they, what, what they always had and what we always have is the presence of Jesus Christ with us every day. Amen? That's value added. That's awesome. If you have to choose between Christ and Caprese, what do you choose? Christ, right? I actually had to Google how to pronounce that. My wife made caprese for her friend. Did you know it's correctly pronounced caprese? I put an end to that discussion. They were having an argument back and forth. It's like little bits of basil and tomato and mozzarella. Right? I think. It's actually pretty good. Anyway, Jesus is more important. Amen? So in closing, in closing, bow your heads, if you will. And in a spirit of reverence, I want to ask you a couple questions. Close your eyes. Bow, bow your head. I want you to follow the smoke trail of your envy. 
this morning. First question, who do you envy? Who do you envy? Second question, if you've identified who you envy, why do you envy that person? What do they have materially or situationally that you want? Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to, I want to, I want you to hear this truth. Let this sink in this morning. I feel like God has this for somebody here. We envy the people that have the things that we idolize. We envy the people that have the things that we idolize. So if you want to know what you worship, follow the trail of your envies. If it's popularity, you're thinking about someone more popular than you right now. If it's being a homemaker, you're thinking of the mom that seems to be doing better right now. If it's being happily married, you're thinking of a relationship that appears to be better than the one you have. Follow the smoke trail to the fire that you have built. That is your altar of worship. That is where the real problem lies. And that's the only place you can correct it. Paul Tripp said, if you worship your way into envy, you have to worship your way out of it. Everybody look up and I want to leave you with a passage that Paul penned. Not while on a beach with sand between his toes in a margarita with an umbrella. In a prison, a rat-infested prison, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then he says in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you will crush our idols. Lord, if we've worshipped ourselves into envy, I pray that you'd help us worship ourselves out. I pray you'd help us focus on you, adore you, realize that we have more than we deserve. Realize that even if we had what Solomon had, even if we had what pop culture icons had, it would not bring us joy. Help us, Lord, to stay centered 
on you as our treasure and joy. In Jesus' name.